0: that can help detect inflammatory conditions on the uterine lining that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. If you've experienced implantation failure or multiple miscarriages, ask your doctor about Receptiva DX. Uterine inflammation, if found, can be treated, providing a new pathway to achieving a successful pregnancy. Receptivity DX, because the journey's worth it.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. And I have my amazing, dazzling co-host, Dr. Carrie Vedient from Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hello. <laughs> and Dr. Abby <laughs> Evelyn from Nashville Fertility Center. It's hard to outdo that one. All I can say is hi. <laughs> How are you guys hi, doing? doing? Good.
0: Oh, hanging in there. Just cruising on through the holidays. Yeah, so, it's
2: the post-crash part of the season. Like now that everything is legitimately done, um, <laughs> all the parties, all the gift giving, all of the cleanup,
1: uh, all, all of the all of it.
2: It's never fun. Settling into the boring January. Yeah. So,
1: so how do you deal with boring January? Like what, what do you do to kind of bring yourself back up so that you can kind of keep on doing what you need to do? What, what's your, your little words of advice for life? I think it's kind of fun to plan ahead and figure out where you're going to go, like either on like
0: spring break or summer break, because it kind of gives you something to look forward to, because otherwise it's kind of like, you know, everybody kind of to a certain degree work looks toward forward or maybe not. But it's it's a change with the holidays. But then when you get to January, it's like, well, what's what's the next thing? And so I think it's fun to look forward. To a trip down okay. the road, potentially. So travel
1: planning. I love travel, travel planning. planning. Yes, I, I mm-hmm. really, I really enjoy travel planning. You know, you mentioned that my mom and my aunt, they are in their seventies and eighties, and like they mentally do much better when they have a trip plan <laughs> because it, it does, <gasps> it does, it gives them something to look forward to, and that's exactly what you're you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Old
0: people like to have something to look forward to. You are not even close to this year.
1: Carrie, well, what do you do? I clean. Um, After, after <laughs> hey, all... could you come we... to my house? Can I pay for a trip
0: to you to fly to Nashville? Come clean at my house? Oh, absolutely. It's so
2: much <laughs> easier to clean and throw out other people's stuff. Oh,
1: I would oh, much yeah. rather clean other pl- oh, people's stuff. A
2: hundred percent. I So I... Totally go overboard during Christmas, especially with decorations. Like my house is... It's not that every inch of it is covered. It's just that it is totally transformed because I always host my office Christmas party. And so that means that I have an outside push to be really on top of everything decoration-wise. And so in January, I mean, usually somewhere between Christmas and New Year's or perhaps New Year's Day is when I take everything down, put it all the way, box it up. And then my house looks super empty. And yeah. after all the busyness of the holiday, it's, it's kind of that letdown, but it's also the, oh, thank God. Uh-huh. Like, mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, this year I've been planning for several months, how to make make the house a little warmer and a little cozier. And so I've got, you know, curtain rods that I need to hang and and putting up the curtains probably means some ironing and like doing a deep clean of things, sorting through all of my stuff and the, you know, the family stuff and just making sure that it's it's cleaned out. So my spring cleaning comes actually in the middle of winter.
1: Hey, that's good. I, you beat the rush. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> I, I think one thing that really makes me feel better is I start like purging things. <laughs> yep. I, because I do like... And I'll, I'll just do like one room and I'll really focus on that room. And I, I probably try to like make it around the house eventually throughout the year. But it's like you sit there and you just really go through the drawers and organize. Oh, and that's so hard what, to do. What do I need? What do I do not need? But I mean, I may spend like... And obviously, I'm working and stuff like that. But I may spend a week or two on a room. So it's not you know i i don't have the t- i mean none of us have the time to sit there and like do it for like day in and day out that would be yeah. absolutely nuts but if i can go i'm really what i also do is i set timers for myself yeah. and, because i get tired it, it, and you know i'm just like it just like everything else everybody's running around doing crazy things but i'll i'll set a timer for cleaning and purging so i'll do it for like 20 or 30 minutes and then i'll yeah. set another timer for my like break period where i can like <laughs> Put on a, a guilty pleasure movie or, you know, read a book or or something like that. So, um, well, that's I think awesome. it's like,
0: it's like anything that you don't look overly forward to. It's just, it's really just
1: getting started.
0: That's the hard part. I but it find feels once so I get, good
1: when you're done. Once I get started, then it's just like,
0: oh, now I need to do this now. I need and, and you, it goes a lot quicker once you just get started. But I've been thinking about purging my closet for six months and I'm still just thinking about it right now. <laughs> so
1: I did my closet a few months ago. It was great. I did that, and I got all these like cool shoe organizers. And oh wow, I'm I'm changing all my hangers. The Container Store
2: and all of like the Amazon organizational Mm -hmm. things. I got uh, the little organizational cubby holes for socks and underwear and bras and scarves and all of that. And it's just, I cannot tell you how happy it made me for the next two months. And then still, every time I open those drawers, I'm like, Oh, look at you all organized.
0: <laughs> I need to do that. Oh, I need to do that.
1: <laughs> just
0: right.
1: Okay. Let's get, let's get to a question of the day. So our question today is, my husband, 39, has been diagnosed with male factor, 1% morphology, 70 million count, 39% motility, 2 milliliters volume um, after one week of abstinence and low testosterone. I'm 28 with no known issues and a regular 28-day cycle, but have MECFS, which is a form of chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, We have been trying for seven months, but we're not avoiding for one year before. Due to the chronic fatigue syndrome, I have low libido and energy. So I target our sex to the day before peak day and peak day using OPKs. What are our chances of conceiving naturally? Does only have sex on those two days limit our chances significantly? Thank you for your podcast. It's been amazing while we wait for our appointment with the specialist. So that's that? a
2: fascinating like uh, component on, on how to do this because we have a lot of people who ask us, well, when should I be having sex? But this really narrows it down because in this type of syndrome, like there, there are just physical limits that you have to acknowledge and live with. Mm-hmm. And so, to so it's really a how do we drill this down to make sure that we are maximizing every opportunity because it's just really hard otherwise. Um, and so you know, I I think the timing that she has down, it sounds like the day before peak day and the day of peak day, if you're going to pay two days, those are the days to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really helpful. Um, I think making sure she's doing the ovulation predictor kits and really nailing down the timing as much as she can, which it sounds like she's already doing is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And some of it is just potentially acknowledging this doesn't have to be amazing gold medal Olympic sex. <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: just sex. <laughs> yeah. it just it's it needs to be sex.
2: It needs to be functional. The sperm needs to go where it needs to go. The rest of it, you are under, and this is going to sound terrible. You are under no obligation to enjoy it. You are under no obligation to have an orgasm. You you are under no obligation to do anything other than hit your goal. And it's it's just like spring cleaning. Set the timer, get the job done, and then put on your guilty pleasure movie. And obviously talk about this with your spouse ahead of time and make sure because her feelings and all of that and uh, you know, we, you never want to do that. But my guess is you guys have had these conversations over the past however many years that you've been diagnosed with this. So this is not a new question, but, you know, there is nothing that says if you don't have an orgasm when your baby is conceived, that your child is going to be Wednesday from the Addams family. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: but you can so. have a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, but you, your child may
2: have a Netflix series, but that is entirely independent of the circumstances <laughs> in which they are conceived.
0: Carrie, I think that is one of the best questions that you have ever answered. And there's no way that I'd want to contribute because I can't top anything that you just said. I think <laughs> that, was, that was a gold medal answer to that question.
1: I totally agree with Abby, <laughs> but I would mention that oh. if, if, if he is not kind of taking care of his needs on a periodic basis, that sperm that gets stored up for over seven days do you start yeah, to degrade. The, that degrading sperm creates free radicals, which can actually damage um, the function of your the newer sperm that have been produced. And so, making sure that he ejaculates about every seven days, that way you don't need to like be concerned about like degrading sperm and that type of thing. Just to maximize your chances, and you know, y'all can make that happen however you want to make it happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Come to Las Vegas. There's all kinds of stores that will help you with uh, those types <laughs> of things. Um, those those stores exist everywhere else as well. Uh, Pocket pussies are very helpful, um, as are many other tools. And so, by all means, go explore your local store and/or website um, in order to help with that. They come in nondescript boxes, so your neighbor <laughs> and your mailman don't have to know anything. But um, it's an important part of life, like especially when you've got chronic illness like that. There's no need for everybody's sexual experiences to be, um, you know, negatively impacted. It's just you know you may have to think outside the box or think of something that started inside of a box that you can then <laughs> on privacy of your bedroom.
1: There you go. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, today we are going to talk about fertility resolutions. So we're in the new year. um, In our practices, we know January and February are huge with new patient appointments and things like that. But we wanted to talk about things that you can do going into the new year to improve your chances, help you get to your goal, so that maybe... By next new year, we we have a little blessing of joy. All right.
2: That sounds good. So what do you guys, what do you think is the single most commonly asked question of your January patients for your How guys? Can I
1: have a baby by next year?
2: <laughs> Hi. Abby, you think it's the same, same thing or different?
1: Um, well, I think
0: people are worried about their weight and they're always asking about what can I do to lose weight and what kind of exercise can I do to lose weight?
2: Yeah, I would agree with both of those. I think those are probably the top two to three. I
1: think one is what people say and the other's one's the one that what they're thinking. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't yeah. think... I, I think there's a handful of my patients who actually verbalize about their weight. Um, I think a lot of people know that weight is an issue, but I don't think they necessarily say anything unless we bring it up. Um, all right. So Abby, kind of going along with the weight things, what... when? You have somebody who is thinking that they need to um, work on their weight. What are, what are things you need to think about? Like, what is even a healthy weight? How, how do we determine that? Well, you, you can
0: actually look it up online. Body mass index is probably, it's not perfect, but it's sort of the best way to get a sense for where you are on the weight spectrum if you're really heavy or in between or, or even underweight, because underweight can make a difference too. And so I think that's probably the best way to kind of figure out what your optimal weight is. I think in the big picture, when patients are trying to lose weight, I mean, just like anything that we, we just talked about cleaning out our closets. And that's the thing that I'm like, oh, I just can't. The thought of it just overwhelms me. And I think that's what people think about weight and exercise too. I think sometimes when you think about it, particularly if you know you have to lose a, a, what you feel is a large amount of weight, it's just, it, it's so overwhelming to even think about it. So I always talk to my patients about just making little changes. You know, don't make any big changes right off the bat. Just, you know, we all do something right? Something that we know we're not supposed to. So just make a small change, go, okay, I know I shouldn't eat a brownie every single day. So maybe I'm going to eat a brownie two days in the week. and And I'm using that as an example, but, you know, just whatever it is that you think you shouldn't be doing, just cut it out, you know, a little bit during the week. And then before you know it, it won't be hard to potentially cut that out at all. And then as you start to lose weight, I think it makes it easier and easier to sort of, you know, hone in more on a more specific type diet.
1: So when we're talking about a healthy BMI, generally, we're looking at a BMI between 18 and 30. That's where you're going to have your best fertility outcomes. So if you're beyond the extremes of either of those making steps to get closer to that range are, are is going to be helpful. Um, what I often do is if I have somebody who's interested in losing weight, I'll even break down like if you're at this weight, this is going to be your BMI and kind of break down goals. You don't have to make mm-hmm. huge goals. Okay. Yeah. When, if you're looking at losing weight, a a, a loss of 5% of your weight can have a huge, huge impact, mm-hmm. especially for ladies who don't ovulate on a regular basis in, in their ability to conceive. So that could be as low as five to 10 pounds, actually. Um, you, if you lose
0: that amount of weight, that can make a big difference in terms of you know your outcomes. And certainly with things like PCOS, we know from data that really makes a big difference for a lot of people. I think approaching
2: it, uh, especially when you're talking about weight loss from the perspective of abundance rather than restriction is really helpful.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good idea.
2: And so thinking about it in, in terms of, okay, rather than restricting eating the brownie every day, I am going to add in whatever to my diet that I know I'm probably missing, whether that's fiber or fruits or vegetables or, yeah. or protein or whatever. Think about adding in what you need to And then you don't feel like, oh my God, I'm restricting myself. It's just, okay, I need to eat X grams of protein every day because I know that that's where I skimp. Like I'm going to eat cereal for breakfast and pasta for lunch. And then, you know, maybe a little something with protein in it for dinner. And like, okay, maybe I should add a little bit to each portion of the day. And so thinking about it that way, or saying, I'm going to add two cups of green leafy vegetables to my lunch every day, or I'm going to add whatever has a bunch of fiber in it to my breakfast every morning, Mm -hmm. things like that mean that you don't necessarily experience the restriction that is going to lead to later binging behavior. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, and this is something that I find personally really helpful because I have an enormous sweet tooth and my patients, my staff, (laughs) and everybody knows it. And of course, is in any medical office. There's a ton of sweet stuff that hits, you know, particularly in the holiday season. Um, which January, we
0: like, we like. Let me just throw that in. Which, which we love. I mean, don't <laughs> get
2: me wrong, like I will, I will happily enjoy everything. But sometimes it's really helpful to think, okay, I can this is not the only time that I'm ever gonna see this. You know, mm-hmm. if I really want to, I can go to the store that I know this came from and buy one of these for myself if I really absolutely have to have it. And so mm-hmm. it takes away the compulsion of, well, I have to eat salted caramel chocolate brownie, and I have to eat the red velvet cookie, and I have to eat the nothing bun cake, and I have to eat da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, because you're like, you know, I know where all these things came from. I can I can get it at any point. And so it it takes away some of the restriction component of it, which I think is really helpful.
0: You know, Carrie, you're, you brought up a point about how you need to to add more things in. It's really funny. I think when people start to look at their diet, sometimes they realize how little they're really eating. And you really look at that kind of food pyramid or you look at kind of the number of servings of things you're supposed to eat in a day. You know, sometimes I'll look at it and go three or four servings of fruit and vegetables. No way did I get that today, you know, and those are the kind of things that kind of fill you up. If you get those things, then you don't crave the other things because you're not so hungry. You're not empty. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it really does put it in perspective of if you eat that full plate of what good the stuff. <laughs> you know, of good stuff of what the the u is that the USDA? It's no because it's no longer the fear food pyramid. It's the plate they've changed. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to eat different percentages of your plate based on whatever. Uh-huh. It makes it a little bit more easy to just eyeball a plate and go. Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah. But once once you start doing that, you realize like, oh my god, I'm so full. I don't want to eat anything Seriously, else. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's really helpful. Yeah. So- On on the opposite side of that, not only do we have to think about what we're putting in, we also think need to think about what we're putting out. So kind of working on exercise. Now I am personally not (laughs) a like I've I am not an exerciser. Like I am with the best of them that I don't like it. Like it is not like those endorphins that a lot of people get, like I totally get it. But like doing a little something, doing more than what you're doing is what you need to do. Okay. Right. You don't need to get a gym membership. Most mm-hmm. of the time, it's a scam and you're going to like lose money. <laughs> but take a, take a step out your front door. Go for a walk. You know, Park further away from the store. Don't get the, that first parking space. Go park in the back of the parking lot and walk all the way in and walk all the way out. Just make yourself more active and that's going to help improve things as well.
2: Another one of the things that can really help is so much of these behaviors are tied to um, internal stress. And whether that's about work, relationships, whatever money, uh, you know, whatever your situation may be, one of the things that consistently comes up on how to easily and cost-free help yourself is to move around in nature in some way or to be in nature in some way. And so that can be taking a walk in your neighborhood. That can be if you have, even if you have a, you know, four foot by four foot patio, putting a couple plants out there, Um, any, anything, putting a plant in your office or next to your bed or wherever it may be, things like that. So you experience of that nature can really help lower your stress. And many of these behaviors are tied to all these stressors. And so... Anything you can do to minimize that. And that's that's a relatively easy thing to do, you know, unless you feel massive guilt upon killing plants, which a couple <laughs> of myself do. And so, you know, that's that's something to think about. A little bit of exposure to nature can be really helpful.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell patients sometimes, you know, when you get home from work, if you can, if the weather's good enough, go out, walk around the block and talk to your husband about your day for 30 minutes. That gets you walking, gets you moving, gets you talking with him, helps you guys bond. and. And, you know, I think you can gradually work up from that. And, you know, at some point, the goal would be to to do some sort of activity that really kind of breaks a sweat and makes you kind of out of breath where it's kind of hard for you to talk because that means your metabolism's really kind of kicking in at that point. But anything that you do beyond what you're doing right now is
1: better than not doing anything at all. Absolutely. All right. So one thing that I thought about when Carrie was talking about kind of the stress and everything like that is is realize that not only at the beginning of the year, we're, we're putting all these additional you know, stresses on ourselves about what we're going to accomplish, whether it's in our personal lives or our professional lives or, <laughs> or things like that. But, but it is actually normal for people who are undergoing fertility challenges to have mood disorders. Like it's... Yeah. Having a diagnosis of infertility is as stressful as a diagnosis of cancer and a lot of people don't understand that but that is actually i'm not just saying that that's actually been proven in studies yeah. and so if if you are having challenges know you don't have to deal with these things by yourself okay whether you can go you know get on a blog and talk to random strangers about your thing or talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or your girlfriend or your partner like know that it's okay to be having all these like weird stressful feelings because you're going through something that is that is indefinably challenging and it's okay to to reach out for help
0: well i think too to that end i think all those things are great things but you know if you find even after all that that you just can't function without you know, some help, some antidepressant medicine or something like that. I find that patients are, feel very guilty. In fact, I had a patient this week that came that it's altogether stopped her Zoloft because she was so afraid it was going to cause a problem. And, you know, there's no antidepressant medicine that we know for sure is 100% safe because, you know, we'd have to design randomized prospective studies for pregnant women and non-pregnant women. And, you know, most people don't want to sign up for those kind of studies. But we know with those types of drugs, um, that we know that, that they've been around for more than 20 years. And if they were going to cause a big problem, we would probably know about it by now. So there's drugs that most of us feel pretty comfortable, you know, saying it's okay for you to stay on. And so those are things, if, if you need to be on those, and you need to be on them. If you've got to be on them to function, then, you know, we don't want you to feel miserable in this whole process. And I would highly encourage you to talk to your provider about those things and just make sure that you're on the ones that are sort of the best and kind of have been around the longest and we know the most information about.
1: And one thing to know is that pregnancy outcomes in people who have Treated mood disorders are better than if they're untreated. So sitting there and being, you know, depressed or anxious and being like, I'm doing this for the sake of my baby, it it actually isn't working that way. We would rather you be treated and be in a like psychologically positive space because you're going to have better pregnancy outcomes.
2: I definitely agree with that. And when you're dealing with a lot of the Both the the psychological components of anxiety, depression, other mood disorders, as well as just the overwhelm of thinking, oh, my gosh, I might be a fertility patient. The same things that you would do for nutrition and exercise apply here. Set small goals. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it can be as simple as, okay, I'm going to start tracking my ovulation and tracking my menstrual cycles and downloading a free app that helps me to really pin down when I am getting my cycles and when I'm not. Because I cannot tell you the number of people who I ask, Oh, you know, how often do you get your period? Oh, every month. And, and when I'm looking for the number of days, I'm like, I have no idea. So just start tracking it. And, you know, the ovulation predictor kits can be really helpful. The other kits that are out there um, can be really helpful. Those types of baby steps, scheduling an appointment with your OBGYN, you know, consciously acknowledging, okay, I haven't prevented pregnancy for the past five years. I haven't been trying, but I haven't been preventing. So mm-hmm. maybe something
1: should have really happened. And maybe why, is, should... why is that important, Carrie? Because if you're not preventing, you are trying.
2: <laughs> and, and that means, you know, having sex on a semi-regular basis. Um, if If you're not preventing, that means that it could happen. And if it hasn't happened... That makes a huge difference in our world because there are so many patients who come in and say, yeah, we've been trying for a year and nothing's happened. Well, when was the last time you used any birth control? Oh, five, five 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Five, 10 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's try this again. Um, and, and realize, you know, this has been a possibility for much longer than they acknowledged because they didn't want a child. Your reproductive organs don't really care whether you want it or not. <laughs> if it is possible right. and it can happen, you know, I'm I am withholding so many snarky remarks about politicians and what they think women's bodies can and can't do. Um the if there if there's egg and sperm there, that means there's the possibility for a conception. And if it hasn't happened when that possibility has existed, then you need to start perhaps dealing with it because the sooner we get you, the sooner we can help you. And so small goals like I'm gonna call my OBGYN and I'm going to look up fertility. Um, specialists. And I'm going to start moving on these little things can really help you get to the big goals.
1: Because there's a huge,
0: go ahead, Abby. I was going to say, one other point about all the things that we've talked about is they all are kind of interconnected. The better your nutrition, the better your weight, um, the more you exercise, the better it helps your emotional health. You, you know, I think all three of those things, any one of those three things, it's good to work on. But I think if you, you know, work on all three, I think that's going to be even better um, toward trying to get you to a place you want to be.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing to kind of be aware of while you're entering into the new year is that your other health concerns matter when it comes to baby making. And so, you know, if you have, you or your partner have high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, severe asthma, anything, if you have another health condition going and visiting with the doctor that takes care of those things and being like, you know, I really want this to be under the best control and I am not preventing pregnancy. We we are wanting to focus on getting pregnant um, because a lot of times, you know, what you may be on may be controlling things well, but it may not be pregnancy friendly.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and so... Having the opportunity to calmly and rationally transition from one medication to the other instead of being like, oh, my goodness, I'm pregnant. I got to change my meds. Yeah. is <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good yeah. move.
0: Yeah. Or at
1: least having a
2: plan in place. I mean, it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that you need to stop whatever drug is working really well for your condition. But it does mean that you need to know all right, as soon as I hit this positive pregnancy test, I need to call this doc and we're going to switch me from this med to that med. And so it makes it really seamless and stress free mm-hmm. because you know what your plan is already. And that a lot of that really is very applicable to particularly the um, rheumatologic diseases mm-hmm. because we want you to be flare free for usually at and, least neurologic. A year. And, and, and neurologic and neurologic diseases.
0: Yeah, really any oh. autoimmune condition, we want to kind of. Stabilized, yeah. And, like and,
2: we, want, we want a year of of solid good health before we start messing with your hormones and getting you pregnant and having those plans in place is super helpful.
0: And diabetes falls really into that category big time because if your diabetes, a lot of people don't understand if your diabetes is not under good control, it can actually cause malformations in your baby. So if your mm-hmm. glucose, your carriages or miscarriages, if it's not under good control for about the last three months, we need to get you in, con- in good control before we can even start to help you get pregnant. Because certainly we don't want to contribute to malformations in the baby that, you know, things that we know we could have prevented if you'd been under better control. So
1: and, and when your- Abby talks about good control, she's really talking about probably a hemoglobin A1c of less than six.
0: Right. Yeah, Ideally,
1: um, it's not good control for you, but it is true good control. Because yeah. I have patients all the time that are like, "Oh, I'm I'm under the best control I've ever been," and they still have a hemoglobin A1C of seven point five, and I'm like, "I'm glad," mm-hmm. but we need to get you in a better place too. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think if you're if you're treating your diabetes all the time, you know, I'm I've never I don't have diabetes, but I know people don't stay under perfect control all the time. But when you're trying to get pregnant, that should be your big goal. You've got to get your sugars under better control because during pregnancy we want you controlled a lot more tightly, maybe than you've been before, and you know, sometimes if you've never done finger sticks and that kind of stuff, we make you start doing those, or at least monitor your glucose in some way, um, so that we know that you're under good control in pregnancy. Because it's just it's a different ball game when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Definitely, good deal. good deal. One last thing I didn't think about mm-hmm. was sm- until now was our smoking. So smoking cigarettes, vaping, marijuana, smoking marijuana cigarettes, those sorts of things. Those are all things that you need to think about as well. Um, we know that smoking is bad. We know that smoking smokes your ovaries and smokes your eggs and that people who um, tend to go through menopause at, at earlier ages when they're smokers. So we just know it's bad for your eggs. We know it decreases your pregnancy rates really significantly, particularly with IVF. Um, we don't have as lot, a lot of information about marijuana use and vaping, but I think many mm-hmm. of us assume that it has a lot of the same kind of negative impacts. So those are definitely things that you need to think about really completing, completely quitting if you can before you get pregnant.
1: Well, we know that nicotine itself um, has definitely negative impacts on eggs and sperm function. And and we know that marijuana use does disrupt the, the kind of connections that the brain sends to itself and the brain sends to the ovaries and testes. So... You know, if we're trying to get ourselves in the best condition to make those little humans, it's probably a good thing to be easing up on.
2: Absolutely. When you're looking at alcohol and all of the things that are totally legal, that everybody thinks, doesn't really think a whole lot about, that's something where really evaluating your consumption makes a difference and not just a, oh, I just drank a glass a night because a glass can be two ounces and a glass can be nine ounces. And those, those two things are interpreted very differently. And so really analyzing, okay, how much am I drinking a week? How much am I drinking a day? How much? How do I need to adjust this? Because it contributes to all sorts of things. Your ability to sleep well, um, weight gain, ability to take in other nutrition and willingness to take in other nutrition. Even if you don't have an alcohol problem, all these things impact together. You know, If you eat a full chocolate bar, you're probably not going to eat the whole dinner. If you drink a big glass of wine, you may be less inclined to eat all the nutritional foods that are going to really fuel your body. And so thinking about how they all interact there and saying, okay, let's just write everything down. Let's get a good idea of what the baseline is so that we know if we're going to make tiny changes, what we can do. And that makes those tiny changes much more meaningful because you
1: know you're making them. Mm -hmm. And I would like to make a, a statement about what I would consider binge drinking or weekend drinking. Because I have a lot of patients who come into me and they're like, "Oh, I don't drink anything during the week," and I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, so how much do we drink on the weekend?" And you know, it's uh, six or twelve or eighteen, and and realize that the the even if you're only doing that two days a week, that's that's too much. That's too much to kind of maintain your body in the healthiest form, and so. Uh, quite honestly, I'd rather have somebody have one or two drinks every day instead of drinking, you know, a 12-pack on Saturday night because um, it it can disrupt those signals. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Any other fertility resolution advice for 2023?
0: I was thinking about one other category of medicines, and we kind of touched upon this, but we didn't touch specifically. Yeah, there's some medicines that people legitimately need to take for for specific reasons, like they have seizure disorder or they have ADHD. And there's some medicines that no matter what, you just, you know, is it safer to go off your seizure medicine and have a seizure, but not expose the baby to this medicine? Probably not. But that's there again, that goes back to what we talked about with your doctor. It's always good to have a sort of a preconceptual meeting with your physician mm-hmm. and talk about those kind of drugs. And I know some patients that have ADHD, that I've seen are at least able to go off of those for a little while. Um, you know, it's it's a medicine. It's an addictive medicine, It can be addictive when the baby's born uh, for the baby itself. And so, those are things that you may want to discuss ahead of time, even though those are legit medicines that you need to take for legit health reasons. Um, you may just want to talk about what's the best possible way I can change those around, or maybe change to something different that won't be quite so harmful for my baby potentially.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we all wish you a wonderful. 2023 and hoping that all your resolutions, whether they're fertility or personal or professional come true. Um... And to our audience, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So make sure you follow and subscribe to stay updated on all things fertility.
0: You can also visit us on fertility.censor.com to submit specific questions. All questions will be answered for our Ask the Doc segment. Um, We'd love to hear episode ideas, um, so don't hold back. We can't wait to hear your ideas.
2: And as always, this podcast is intended for entertainment. It's not a substitute for medical advice for your physician, so it's part of your resolution. Go ahead (laughs) and make those appointments, and we will talk to you soon. See you next week.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: This podcast is also brought to you by Fertility Pharmacy of America. Fertility Pharmacy of America is a fertility dedicated pharmacy that partners with physicians across the country in order to provide patients with a more personalized pharmacy experience pride ourselves on ensuring that every prescription is accurate, delivered in a timely manner, and most importantly, affordable for all patients. A team of trained pharmacists, technicians, and customer service representatives will be with you every step of the way, providing you with knowledge and exceptional quality care for all of your fertility medication needs. More than just a specialty pharmacy, they're a committed partner during your fertility journey. Fertility Pharmacy of America, making miracles happen every day. Please text or call us at 844-449-8767 and reference Fertility Docs Uncensored.